I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're on. I just hit myself in the head. You start. Okay. <laughs> I itch my <Fuck>. ear. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. True Crimes and Story Times. I'm Michelle. And I'm Kirsten. And today we are covering the hold on. Case of Catherine Sesnick and Joyce Malecki. Never heard of it. So first of all. I'm going to just start it out right now by saying this is going to be a two-parter. All right. Okay. Lots and of info. Yeah. Um, I have lots of research, and uh, we're just basically, we're going to go more into the Joyce Malecki case in part two. Gotcha. So this is really going to be focused on Kathy. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So... Catherine Ann Sesnick was born on November 17, 1942, in Lawrenceville neighborhood of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is also where Mac Miller is from. I didn't know that. Love Mac. Was from. Yeah, because he died. Rip. Hashtag go Steelers. I'm just kidding. Yeah, he was. And I don't watch football, so... Anyways... Not a fan of the Steelers. Just putting it out there. I do not care about I football just know at all. From Pittsburgh. I could care less about football, basketball, baseball. Well, it's I all have, rigged. I don't give a fuck. I have my husband to blame for it. Oh yeah. I get forced into really it. Watch sports. Well, he used to a lot, but he doesn't anymore. Um, she was the eldest child of Joseph and Anna Amulak Sesnick. Her paternal grandparents, John and Joanna Tomic Sesnick were Slovenians who immigrated from Yugoslavia, where her maternal grandfather, Joseph Amulak, came from Yugoslavia, and maternal grandmother, Martha Hudok, came from Austria. I was about to ask where all these names came from. Yeah. But I get it now. Um, Kathy had three siblings. Each morning during the school year, Kathy and her sisters left their family's bungalow at 1023 Downlook Street, and walked half a mile to the tiny parochial school that adjoined St. Mary's Assumption on 57th Street. And this is in Baltimore. Okay. There she absorbed a thoroughly typical 1950s Catholic grade school education by the School Sisters of Notre Dame, teaching order of nuns who operated the school during Kathy's childhood. Kathy attended St. Mary's School on 57th Street and St. Augustine High School, both in Lawrenceville. She was valedictorian at the graduation of her high school class in 1960 after being the May Queen and the president of the senior class and the student council. Dang. Yeah, this Dude, girl is She was smart. doing it all. Yeah. Intensely religious, Kathy was deeply impressed by some of her Notre Dame teachers. So impressed that by the time she moved on to St. Augustine Catholic High School in 1956... She was already thinking about entering the Notre Dame convent and becoming a school sister, which is a nun. Hmm. 
After graduating, Kathy entered the Baltimore Province Convent of the School Sisters of Notre Dame on September 29, 1960 as a postulant or a candidate for the sisterhood. So she has to do so much to become a nun in schooling. Mm -hmm. So basically they call it spiritual base camp. Gotcha. Or spiritual boot camp, sorry. Like military boot camp. Right. After seven years of study, she professed her final vows on July 21st, 1967. So she became a nun? A nun. Yep. Gotcha. She is now Sister Kathy Sesnick. Gotcha. She had already begun her teaching career in 1965 at the newly opened Archbishop Keogh High School on Catton Avenue in southwest Baltimore. And during the next four years, she would teach English and drama to several hundred students from the mostly working class Irish American community nearby. Although she loved teaching, she appeared to be struggling with some inner turmoil during the spring of 1969. Quote, to me, she seemed stressed out, perhaps even on the edge of a nervous breakdown, one former student who asked not to be identified says. Quote, she was exhausted and extremely nervous, and she missed a lot of school during the spring months. End hmm. quote. Have you ever heard of this? No. Really? Never. I don't think so. Wow. The name Sesnick sounds familiar. That's it. I had never heard of this either. I don't. Th- yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of this. One of the possible reasons behind Sesnick's apparent stress became clear in June of that year, when she asked permission from her Notre Dame superiors to enter a period of exclusion. I think is how you say that. Sounds right. Which is an experiment in which she would live outside the convent while also substituting civilian dress, skirts, blouses, dresses, for the traditional nuns' habits. So she didn't have to wear her. You know how they wear that, like, the hood thing and, like, the white thing on their head. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have to wear all that. And, like, nuns have to put their arms out in front of them while they walk. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? That's weird. And it's hard, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And they have to, like, put their arms in their sleeves and stuff. So she didn't have to do any of that. She would just be, like, a normal person, but still operating as a nun spiritually. Gotcha. Like, going and seeing it, like, what it's like mm-hmm. to look like a normal person. Right. So, permission was granted, and Kathy moved into a two-bedroom apartment at the carriage house on North Bend Road. At the same time, the nun decided on a second experiment. Instead of teaching at Keogh during the 1969-70 to school year, she would serve as a missionary teacher at a public school, Western High. Um, During the first few months of that school year, Kathy shared her carriage house apartment with a friend, and fellow nun, Sister Helen Russell Phillips, who had also stopped wearing the habit and was also teaching at Western. So she was basically just doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to talk about Sister Kathy some. Um, Sister Kathy's students said she had a big heart and was like an older sister, and she was 26 years old at this time, so she wasn't much older than her students. I mean, you know, her students were like 16, so she was 10 years older than them, but yeah she was a lot younger than the other nuns that were teaching them who were very strict very religious you Mm -hmm. know kathy was a little bit more laid back like a little bit nicer Mm -hmm. um they would say that she was the type you could connect to and tell everything to she was very upbeat and happy person she would give advice and she could also just listen if that's what you needed Mm -hmm. she was physically and spiritually beautiful and kind very spiritual and she was just full of compassion for everyone um, she just seemed like honestly, an all-around great person yeah like just everybody loved her there was nothing that you could do mm-hmm. to make you not like her right 
On November 7th of 1969, Sister Kathy told her student Juliana that she would have to go get a gift for someone that night. Kathy left the school her normal hours and went back to her apartment. She left her apartment complex, which is, I already mentioned, carriage house garden apartments, around Mm -hmm. 7 o'clock is what is stated at this time. Later, I think her roommate also said 8 o'clock, but it's mainly just been stated 7. Okay. That's what I've seen mostly everywhere. And this is according to her roommate, who also said it was something that they did routinely. This was not out of routine. This was Mm -hmm. not different. Like, Kathy would do this. This is just normal. Just a normal normal day. Um, Kathy said she was going to get a gift for her sister's engagement, and she went to the Edmondson Shopping Center, which is very safe at the time, and it was very, it was considered, like, very upscale, Mm -hmm. like, like, middle class, higher class people went there to shop. She also stopped at the local bank to cash her check, and she also stopped to get some rolls. Hmm. The girl was hungry. Rolls. Shoot. All right, well, some speculate she returned to her parking spot, but there was no evidence that she ever returned to her apartment. Hmm. A woman said she was carrying in her groceries and saw Kathy sitting in her car waiting for someone. Nobody knows if that's true. Hmm. Um, One of her students, Mary Spence, everyone had gotten new phone books around this time. They Mm -hmm. all got them delivered. You know, when people used to get phone books delivered to their house. Right. They don't do that anymore. Like the yellow pages. Yes, basically. Um, Well, Mary and her friend had a crush on one of their teachers that they had at school. Ooh. He was a younger teacher. Mm Mm-hmm. Not an old guy, (laughs) just to be clear. (laughs) Even though that's still creepy. Yeah. But his house was only, like, a couple blocks away from Sister Kathy's apartment. So they went and scoped it out. Ooh. And. Sneaky. Yeah. She said that she saw him through the window and everything. Can't remember if she said he was like taking his shirt off or something. And like Ooh. they were hiding behind some bushes trying to be like sneaky. Yeah. Well, then she said that her and her friend heard a man's voice screaming and yelling around the vicinity of where Sister Kathy's apartment was. Mm. We don't know if that's true. I mean, she was a sophomore in high school around this time. So not saying that that makes her uncredible, but mm-hmm. you never know. Well, it was getting late, and Sister Russell became concerned about Kathy. She called Father Coob. He taught religion at Keogh High School um, because she was concerned, and Father Coob and Sister Kathy were close friends, and we'll get more into that later. But why didn't she call the police? If she heard someone screaming. Well, she didn't hear that. The student did. Oh. That went to scope out that teacher that she had a crush on. Uh Uh-huh. Not Sister Russell. Okay. But you would think if the student thought she heard that, the sister Russell would have heard that. I don't know. Right. But still, the question is, why didn't she call the police instead of the priest? That's true. If she was missing, what would the priest be able to do? Nothing. I don't know. Maybe there, maybe there's, I don't know, in the, the nuns, Mm -hmm. maybe instead of calling the police, they call their priest. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but still, like, but, I mean, maybe, if she's I missing, if know. she thinks she's missing That's or true. in danger, you would think she would have called the police. Right. It doesn't really make much sense, other than Father Coob was a close friend of Kathy's. Mm-hmm. So, Father Coob and Peter McEwen, which I think is how you pronounce his name, I think he was also a priest of some sort, I can't remember. Um, they went to Sister Russell and Kathy's apartment, uh, 
because she was worried about her. She didn't know where she was at. She hadn't returned. Um, they spent about 45 minutes to an hour at the apartment and then decided to call the police. Oh, that's suspicious. Like, why did they spend so much time waiting around? Uh, like, and if they were looking, like, what were they looking for for 45 minutes to right. an hour? That the police so, couldn't look for. Right. Like, why hmm. did you wait for so long? If So, she called you and was concerned. And you come over. And you guys wait another 45 minutes to an hour. That time frame, you could have saved her. Kind of sounds like they're trying to figure some stuff out. Conspiring. Mm, conspiring. That's the word. One police officer responded and took their information. So, the three of them gathered around the table and Peter said mass. Which is like... Prayer. They do like the bread and the wine. And oh, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did save some communion bread for Kathy. Hmm. She would never get to eat it, though. Yikes. So after another hour or two, Peter and Father Koo were like, you know, we're getting real anxious. We're just going to go take a walk. Hmm. And they found Sister Kathy's car. Coincidence. Hmm. How, how do you do that? How do you know just right where to walk and where to look for her car? Mm-hmm. I don't they know. They found the yeah. car. Or did they? Right. Yeah. I, in my personal opinion, I don't really know if Coob really had anything to do with this. Father Coob. Father Coob. I don't really think he really had, had anything to do with this. And you'll find out why later, but just just hold my word for it. Okay, okay, okay. So they found Sister Kathy's car. It was very muddy. There were twigs inside the car. Strange. And the car was found adjacent to the apartments. So, I'd have to show you a picture. I get, um, I get what you mean. And I wanted to start posting pictures on our Facebook page, so. Okay. Our Facebook page is True Crimes and Story Times, and I'm going to start posting pictures from different cases and stuff on there, mm-hmm. so. Anyways, the rolls were still left in the car, so you know she didn't get out. Rolls went to waste. Sorry. I'm hungry. Think about <laughs> the food. <laughs> um, where was Sister Kathy? Not in her car. Mm-mm. Two months would go by before her body was found. Two months? Her body? Yep. yep. January 3rd, 1970, two owners called in saying they found a body. Um, James Scannell was the one that answered, and he responded to the crime scene. He was the first on scene. Uh, moments later, Romer, which is also another retired uh, policeman Mm -hmm. who worked this case um and several members of what they called the m squad climbed into the one of the department's unmarked black plymouths for the 20 mile ride to lansdowne which is where her body was found um it was snowing when we got to the dump and cold as a son of a bitch the detective recalled in this the detective recalled in the spring of 2004 and this is romer by the way Mm -hmm. he says the body was pretty much covered by snow but it didn't take us long to figure out who she was when i walked up on that dump i said hello kathy sesnick so he knew right away Mm -hmm. she was lying on her back on the slope of a little hill with her purse and one shoe a few feet away as soon as we opened the purse we found a prescription bottle with her name printed on it We worked that crime scene all day long. We called in the medical examiner and we asked for an autopsy right away. We went through our standard procedure. That's all. I guess we spent four or five hours out there and it was nearly dark when we finally sent the body off to the morgue. Like Romer, retired police county captain James L. Scannell, which is the guy that received the call, Mm -hmm. says he has never forgotten finding the nun's body on the frozen field that day. 
I remember her blue coat and the purse nearby, says a 74-year-old Skinnell, who spent 37 years as a county police officer before retiring in 1992. He said, You gotta remember, she'd been laying out on the dump all this time and the varmints had gotten to her. Romer added. Oh, this is Romer. Sorry. So whether she was raped or sexually molested, I don't know. And I don't think anybody will ever know. Because the medical examiner reported that it was impossible to determine if the nun had been sexually assaulted. Because she had been out there for so long. Two months. And in underneath all the snow, Mm -hmm. her body was probably... She went missing on November 7th. Right, and this was in January. Yes. Um, Her clothes were also stripped down to her waist, and there was no fresh blood at the scene. They said she hadn't started to deteriorate, most likely due to the weather at the time. Because it was freezing cold. Yeah, like, she's not going to deteriorate if it's cold. I mean, it will will be in some form of deterioration, but But not as fast. Right. Um, The body was dumped five miles away from the shopping center. Where she was getting the rolls. Mm-hmm. Or where the she was getting present. the gift, yeah. yeah. She was abducted and she was killed. Beyond that, there was no other info at this time. <laughs> which at is pretty this time? Sad. Like at now? this time. Like, yeah. we still don't know. Yeah. Like, at this time in the story. In the story. In 1969. Uh, okay, I get you, I get you. Um, Captain Romer and his M-Squad detectives threw themselves into what would become a fruitless five-year quest to identify Sister Kathy Sesnick's murder. They started with the Maryland Medical Examiner's autopsy report, which stated that the teaching sister from Baltimore's Archbishop Keough High School for Girls had been beaten to death. The nun had died of blunt force trauma to one side of her head, along with a blow that had left a round hole in the back of her skull. Yeah. Like a gunshot or just like just blunt a round force? <laughs> and later, uh, during an interview, Romer has a picture of like the file. And Mm -hmm. he has a picture of this. And he says, do you see that hole in the back of her skull? Um, And then he says, that hole is perfectly round and about the size of a quarter. I've studied that photo over and over again, trying to imagine how she might have died. A hole like that? It looks to me like it could have been made with a ball-peen hammer. And then he says, it might have been a hammer or maybe a tire iron. And then he also says, or maybe it was a priest string. One of those heavy gold rings a lot of Catholic priests wear. A priest ring would make a hole like that if he hit her hard enough. Like a ring like that you wear on your finger. Yeah, priests have like a ring that they wear on their finger that's mm-hmm. like huge. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what he was saying. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that crazy? He's calling some people out, I think. I think so too. Even after all these years. And that that was can't remember the exact year of when he was interviewed saying that but this is basically the article by a man named tom nugent and he was a journalist and he wrote an article about kathy says mm-hmm. murder so just wanted to put that quote in there um so many people were interviewed including sister kathy's roommate sister russell mm-hmm. and the police said that sister russell was a bit reluctant to talk like she didn't want to give too much info mm-hmm. she didn't want to help right you know withholding information kind of yeah that's illegal definitely illegal but when you're part of the catholic church does it matter i don't know if you're a priest does it matter if you kill somebody i don't know you know what i mean yeah if you're a priest so at the time police thought there was not foul play involved due to there being no sign of struggle and that was before 
they found her body. Mm-hmm. So they, they were like, oh, well, she's been gone for like two months, but there wasn't a sign of struggle in her car or mm-hmm. anything like that. I meant to put that in the beginning, but I mixed it up. My bad. It's okay. So there are two key characters to this murder. One sister, Kathy, and the other is witness Jane Doe. Who's Jane Doe? That's the question. I see that. Mm-hmm. Student at the Catholic high school where Kathy taught. And my next line that Kirsten stole is, who is Jane Doe? Who is Jane Doe? And we will find that out eventually. So she's not a Jane Doe. She is not a Jane Doe anymore. She has been identified. Well, she identified herself. Okay. So anyways. Anywho. Let's continue. So around the same time, another woman was abducted. And this was in within four days of Kathy disappearing. Oh. And we're going to get more into this in the next part, mm-hmm. but we're just going to talk a little bit about it right now. Okay. So her car was found in a similar position as Kathy's, and she was 20 years old. So not not much younger than Kathy herself. Mm-hmm. She lived le- less than two miles away from Kathy. And in November 1969, Joyce came up to her brother's work to switch her car for her parents' car. For whatever reason. So this is Joyce. Right? Yes. Joyce. Gotcha. Joyce Malecki. Oh, yes. You mentioned that. Her brother was the last one to see her. Her brother found the car, doors unlocked, keys still in the ignition. And Kathy and Joyce both went missing from South Baltimore. Hmm. Two hunters found Joyce's body as well the day after her car was discovered. Joyce's brother, Pat, identified her body. When I was watching, so I got a lot of this information from the Cape, the... The Keepers documentary on Netflix and Kirsten, if you watch it, I swear I won't. I won't watch it until you're done. Thank you. Anyways, I got a lot of this information from the Keepers documentary, and he basically said that he didn't want his parents to have to identify her, so he did it for them. That would be rough. Yeah. She was found at Fort Meade, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. She was face down in the stream with her hands tied behind her back and her throat was cut. Yikes. So this was m- more violent. Yeah. Captain John Barnold ran the investigations with Kathy and Joyce, and since Joyce and Kathy were of the same stature and characteristics, they thought they may be connected. Mm-hmm. So that's all we're really going to talk about that right now. We'll talk about more how it relates, but basically they just thought they were connected because they similar age, yeah, similar age, similar stature, similar, a lot of different things. The car, mm-hmm. how the car is just like there it's in the left. same, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can see the connection between the two. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about the Archdiocese Keogh High School. And this is where Kathy used to work and Mm -hmm. teach. Gotcha. Um, So Baltimore at the time was a very religious and Catholic place. And there were even like huge Catholic communities of Catholic people just living in the same communities. Like that's Mm -hmm. how big it was. Mm -hmm. Um, So to get accepted into the school was like a huge deal. The, like a very very the big Keo high school yes um girls would wait impatiently for their acceptance letter during their eighth grade year so they would apply and just be like oh my gosh i hope i get in kind of like a hogwarts letter yeah for you for me yeah so you would basically be devastated if you did not get into the school like Absolutely. this is where it was at this is where everybody wanted to be this is it yes the it yes this school was very very strict though Mm-hmm. Um, nuns were your teachers and the priests were the very authoritarian like principal type yeah leader mm-hmm. so we're going to talk about one priest in particular father joseph maskell okay from 15 years old he was a priest in training 
1965, he was ordained, and then his first assignment from 1965 to 1966 was at Baltimore Parish, or Sacred Heart of Mary. Mm-hmm. In 1966 to 67, he was transferred to St. Clement Church, and he was made associate pastor there and supervised the Boy Scout troop. Mm-hmm. And through all this time, he also became a psychologist, which later helped him in his manipulation and abuse. Oh, yikes. Yeah. So he did become a psychologist at some point. I can't remember what year exactly that was. but. Um, and then he worked at Keogh. So mm-hmm. now we're aware he works at Keogh. Sister Kathy works at Keogh. Okay. Gotcha. Um, he was a chaplain for the Baltimore Police Department, Air National Guard, and Maryland State Police. Wow. He was protected because his brother was a police officer. Um, his name was Tommy. Mm-hmm. He was on the Baltimore City Police. Um, and he was close friends with several of the police, which we will find out later. Well, if you're the chaplain, you would be the chaplain well, you of know the everyone's department. deepest darkest secrets so of course you're going to be close friends oh for sure um brian schwab i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name but schwab looks right was a former detective on baltimore city police department and he claimed also that catholic school was very harsh they did paddling oh, etc yeah. mm-hmm. he said you were scared of the nuns and especially the priests because they were godlike figures yeah yikes yikes Father Maskell had a coldness about him, is what he said. He would take a handgun out of his pocket and lay it somewhere. And this is the priest. What the heck? Um, and he asked him why he had a gun as a priest. And Father Maskell looked right through him. And the look he gave him was like, how dare you question me? Mm-hmm. And he never got a look again like that until he became a detective, a detective and interviewed murderers. Mm. That was his exact quote. So he's saying like... He gave him the same look that, like, murderers give him. Yes. Yikes. Father Maskell scared a lot of students. I bet. he would often call for girls over the intercom. Mm. And this is where it takes a turn for really, really bad. So, trigger warning, there's going to be a lot of talk about sexual assault um, for any girls. So, if you don't want to listen to that, I suggest you just wait for the next... Uh, episode to come out mm-hmm. because that's basically what the rest of this one is going to be about unfortunately yikes so um jane doe went to confession this so we're back at jane, jane doe. doe gotcha um she went to confession because she's like a main part in this story mm-hmm. uh it took her five tries to get there because she was so nervous about going to confession and confessing this to the priest and right things like that um so basically she told the priest at this time was father neil magnus he also okay. worked at uh Keo, and he taught religion at Keo. Mm-hmm. um she told him something she was feeling guilty about and she had been sexually abused by an uncle yikes which is nothing you should feel guilty about because that's not your fault no but i understand where she was coming from yeah um magnus asked if he could look at her and have her name while she was confessing this to him you're not supposed to do that are you not as a priest. I don't think so. You're, that's why they, like, That's why the there's, like, a box and everything. You don't and, see each yeah. other. And apparently, he told her he didn't know if God could forgive this. Forgive her? Yep. Forgive her for what? Exactly. He, he, he ain't got to forgive her for nothing because she didn't do nothing. Exactly. And he would have to pray on it in return. Oh, my goodness. But later on, she would remember there was much more to this story mm-hmm. that 
he was masturbating while she was <gasps> confessing these things of what her uncle was doing to That's her. Disgusting. Yeah. I'm disgusted. Yeah. Ugh. I hate that. So day goes by or whatever and he walks up to her in the hall and said he wanted to see her in his office so she gave oh that was my laptop charger she she gave him her name and everything well he saw her he knew her Mm -hmm. this is a catholic community Mm -hmm. it's a girls only school so if you see someone you're gonna know who they are okay yikes yeah so like i said he walked up to her in the hall said he wanted to see her in his office And he told her that she was bad, and it would take a while for God to forgive her. Even Mm, though mm -mm. she did nothing. The complete opposite. Her uncle was the terrible piece of shit, not her. Um, She would have to completely empty herself of the behaviors. The heck is that uh, supposed to mean? Huge trigger warning right here. If you didn't hear enough, now you're about to hear enough in a second because it's about to get really bad. I'm gonna throw up. It would make room for God to fill her with the Holy Spirit and that she could be forgiven. The things he was doing to her were what he said, quote, sacramental, which is very untrue. Gross. And, okay, I'm telling you guys, last trigger warning right now. This is it. This is it. He talked about his come as the Eucharist, which is also known as the Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper. Among other names, is a Christian rite that is considered a sacrament in most churches and as an ordinance in others. According to the New Testament, the rite was instituted by Jesus Christ during the Last Supper, giving his disciples bread and wine during a Passover meal. He commanded them to do this in memory of me while referring to the bread as my body and the cup of wine as the new covenant in my blood. Through the Eucharist celebration, Christians remember Christ's sacrifice of himself on the cross. So he's comparing... His jizz to Holy Communion. Yes. That yes, is, he is disgusting. Yes, it is. That is absolutely it, disgusting. It that is, is. It makes me feel very vile. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. I, I'm, I'm feeling so uncomfortable right now. Yeah. Like, I don't. Gross. I just want to say when I watch. I haven't even watched this whole docuseries, okay? And that's why there's a part two. Mm-hmm. Because I want to get through the docuseries and I want to be able to get as much information as I can, but I was literally tearing up while watching this. Yeah. That's it is so terrible. Fucking disgusting he's a he's a piece of shit mm -hmm. and he's a priest oh it gets worse a fucking priest yeah he was doing symbols on her of the crucifix with it as if it was sacred with his with his stuff with his jizz fucking gross yeah i'm grossed (laughs) i know me too and the laughing is because we're uncomfortable not because we think it's not funny funny. it's It's not funny at all but it's very fucking gross and it's like for a girl her age to even go through this, for anyone to go through this, not even just a girl her age, but anyone in general. That's she had already gross. had abuse from her uncle, and now she's getting abused by this priest. And she thinks that since he's the priest, and she's trying to get quote forgiveness for something that she didn't even do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's gross. So he also said that his come was the Holy Spirit, and she was to swallow it. It just keeps getting worse. Yep. And it does. And it doesn't get any better. Um, She had no idea at the time it was abusive because her uncle had done this to her before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and she was feeling guilty about it. And he's a priest. He's yep. a, I mean, he's one of the head people at this church or this school. Yep. Um, He would tell her the things that happened to her she had done. Not her uncle. 
So she it was her it. fault. She did it. Disgusting. Yeah. Um. So after a couple sessions with Fogner, 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 <sighs> Father Magnus, Father Maskell started to join. So she she went session. back for this. He he made her come back. He kept calling and like doing it more than once. Yep. To try and quote get god to forgive her yeah to fill her with yep. his holy spirit yeah i'm disgusted yeah and so this father maskell yeah joined mm-hmm. i told you when i first looked this case up i briefly scratched the surface and then i started watching the docuseries and it just blew up in my face i can see that father maskell would call jane doe a whore uh, they would pray over her in Latin while sexually assaulting her. Gross. I'm so grossed out. Um, and obviously she was absolutely fucking terrified because in her mind they were the authority figures. They were the godlike figures that that Baltimore police department mm-hmm. or policeman said. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's hard to go against someone that has so much authority. And she thought that they were making her a better person, which is very fucking sad. Yeah. One day, she went to the room, and it was just Father Maskell, and he was very angry at her because she wasn't getting any better. Like, better as she wasn't getting God's forgiveness. Right. He took out his anger on her, and she said every time it was over, she thought, maybe God forgave me. That's sad. Dude, I'm telling you, this has been very rough. It's rough, I can tell. Um, One time, she walked in the room, and he said it was time for her to participate in this what in her recovery as if she wasn't already a participant right well at this point you know she's disassociating oh absolutely trying to just not think about it so he uh pulled out a dildo out of his drawer in his desk and what fucking priest keeps a dildo in their desk um one that's not supposed to be a fucking priest i'll tell you that right now sick he said now she was going to participating in her own therapy. And when they were done, he came close because she said that he liked to come close to your ear and like say some shit. Disgusting. And he said, let's see how much the whore likes it. I'm, that's gross. I am fucking done. That is, that makes me angry. Yeah. I'm like, no And then, once everything was done, he said, you hated that and I'm glad. Well, yeah, I would fucking hate it, too. Yeah, but he said, and I'm glad. Like, I'm glad you hated it. It's giving me joy. He didn't want her. Yeah. So, basically, he just wanted her under his control to do whatever he wanted to her, and he was using his authority to keep control of her. Yep. That's disgusting. Yep. And he... I really, I really hope this guy dies. He said, (laughs) get back to class and don't be late. Mm, 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 mm. And he always told her, pull herself together and get back to class. So nobody knew nope. what was going on or had any clue. So Kathy saw Jane Doe in the hall and asked Jane Doe where she was supposed to be. And Kathy helped her back to class. Jane Doe said that Father Maskell would bring strangers into the room. Yes. To like help. Gross. So she said that when her uncle was abusing her, he would take her into the back room of this bar that he used to go to and let strangers do things to her. Oh my goodness. 
and she said at that time she saw her uncle as her protector like he was watching over her while these things were happening to her like this is how but he was like letting but he was letting it happen Mm -hmm. that's so sad and he would stand by the door while these things were happening to her so maskell started doing the same thing um and she started to see him as her protector in Mm -hmm. a way because that's how fucked up this story is Mm -hmm. uh one of these strangers was brother bob and she didn't know if that was his real name or anything like that or if that's what they just referred to Mm -hmm. and we will come back to brother bob in part two but for now he was a loose cannon Mm -hmm. and he was violent and out of control Um, yikes and maskell would stop him if he was getting too crazy he would get too crazy with jane doe yikes um uh, Jane Doe said that at one time, one of the men was in the room. One of the men that was in the room when she came in was a police officer in full uniform. What the fuck? Remember, Maskell's brother is a police officer and he's oh close friends goodness. with all the policemen. That's just fucked up. Uh, she said she was sitting across the table from him and he had a gun. And he took the bullets out one by one while he was talking to her. Um, And told her if her... Ev- father ever found out which jane doe's father is also on the police department at this time Mm -hmm. um if her father ever found out she was whoring around and he put the gun up to jane doe's temple Mm -hmm. and he pulled the trigger and he said that her father would do the same thing to her but would leave the bullets in if she was whoring around yeah if she was whoring around because she's definitely going around just yeah absolutely the fuck not right this guy's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. All these people are pieces of He's shit. A, mm, 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 mm. So Father Maskell could obviously give police officers and anybody else what they wanted. Oh, we yeah. These sick fucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be a lot of girls in and out of Maskell's office, actually. It's not just Jane Doe. So he's he's doing this to Probably doing this to multiple girls. This is an all-girl school. Right. And, and he's a priest. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So basically, Father Maskell would just find out what's wrong in your life, and then he would turn it against you. Mm-hmm. Just like what he's doing to Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. So Donna, as another student, said she was waiting in Maskell's office. I keep wanting to say Maskell. Or Maskell. It's Maskell. Maskell. Um, she was also suffering this abuse, and she also saw the shirt and pants of a police officer. Because he would bring strangers in the room mm-hmm. with her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, she said the police officer said he didn't want to do this, and Maskell encouraged him. And it's probably so he can have something over him as well. Yeah. He's manipulative. Yep. You said that he was, he was, he was a psychologist. He was, a psychologist. Mm-hmm. He was the school counselor. So he knows how to get, like, under people's skin and, like, yep. make them do what he wants. Yep. That's disgusting. So, one day, Jane Doe was waiting at Maskell's door, and Sister Kathy said, I didn't know that you needed these services with Jane Doe. Oh. And Maskell told her, yes, that Jane Doe did need his services and closed the door. And it's like she was kind of letting know, letting Maskell know that she was observing him, like she was kind of catching on. She, mm-hmm. um, oh. Kathy, one of, not Sister Kathy, but one of Kathy's students, uh, one day... She talked to Sister Kathy. They used to play guitar together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also in the documentary, if you guys mm-hmm. want to watch that. Um, but, yeah, they used to play the guitar together, and she was very close with Kathy. And, like, 
everyone said, Kathy was very easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that one day she just came out and told Sister Kathy that Father Maskell was not very religious. And Sister Kathy asked her what she meant. And so she told her that Father Maskell would get physical in his office. And mm. apparently she acted like she didn't know, but her face said that she did. And that is where we are leaving it for part two. So she's catching on. Sister Kathy's catching mm-hmm. on to the bullshit that's happening mm-hmm. in his office. Yep. Why are why are all these girls always getting called down to his office? Over in the and out of the office all the time. Mm-hmm. And also, it mentioned in the documentary that in Father Maskell's office, there was a door. There was an exit. So he could bring these people into his office and nobody would even fucking know. That is messed up. Yeah. He's got his ways. That's fucked up. He's a fucking piece of shit. I wanted to stop it right there because I know we're going to need a break. And I know that everyone else probably needs a break after listening to all of that. So I know it's rough, but um, I just feel like the story has to be told not only in the documentary, but Mm -hmm. anywhere we can get it because, yeah. It's messed up. That is a lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. In part two, we'll talk more about jane doe and we'll also talk about jane roe we'll fast forward to 1992 oh some years later mm-hmm. like 20 years later mm-hmm. this is fucked up i just know it's gonna get more fucked up yep so i appreciate you guys listening but uh we have a party to attend let's go party and uh it's really not that much of a no party. it's like four of us <laughs> <laughs> but um we need to Go have some fun after yeah, this after that. terrible fucking story. As bad as it was, that was an, it's so far it's an interesting case. Yeah, it definitely caught my eye. I was it's very surprised. Fucked honestly. up as fucked up can get, but I knew we would need a break right then because up. of all that stuff we just heard, and I was just like, you know what? Disgusted. I'm just gonna cut it off right here because yeah. this is a lot mm-hmm. to to take in. Yeah. It really is. Um, just thinking about all the girls that got abused at that high school. And who even knows how many girls there were. Maybe we'll get into it in part two. I don't know. We will. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Well, that's it for part one. And I'm sorry you have to wait a whole week for part two. But, guys, there's just so much info. Give you a reason. Make sure you come back. Yeah. So you can find out what happens. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm sorry to bring you down. But it's got to be told. We'll, uh. We'll see you in the next one. See ya.